Thanks for listening to iTruths, the teaching ministry of Fellowship Bible Church of Texarkana, Texas. I'm Richard Hornock, the senior pastor of Fellowship Bible Church, and the following is a message that I delivered during one of our Sunday morning worship services. I trust that it will be beneficial to your walk with Jesus Christ. Thanks again. You know, we're now uh, a couple years removed from the pandemic, and I think you can safely say that we're now in the new normal. Uh, Things are not going to get back to what they were. There's like a new normal. Uh, You know, you can sit and think through uh, all kinds of changes that occurred, especially if you step back for a while and think what was life like, you know, in 2019 versus what is life like now in 2023, and you can see that there's a lot of things that have changed. I mean, Zoom meetings, I mean, those are just now going to be something that is part of your life. If uh, you're on a committee, if you're on a board, or you have some meetings, most likely you're going to do a lot of Zoom meetings. Uh, If you have the opportunity to work online, most likely you're going to get to work from home a lot, or maybe get to work from somewhere else. Going into the office isn't something you always have to do. There's just a lot of good things that happened because of the pandemic. Uh, you know, I don't know whether uh, they did it intentionally or, or what, but one of the things I find really fascinating is Chick-fil-A. Now, I cannot be the only one that realized that Chick-fil-A took the pandemic as an opportunity to basically go to being a drive through business. I mean, it's almost like they're doing things to keep you out of their store. They just want you to go through, give them some money, they'll give you some food, and move on your way. In fact, look at this. This, they just opened this store out in California, totally designed for drive-through. Good change for them. Hopefully, they're making a lot of money doing it that way. It's kind of interesting. Our uh, son-in-law, Daniel, When Caroline first met him and they started dating, Daniel had just started working for Amazon. Now, he's from Northern Ireland, so he pronounced it Amazon. But uh, he started working for Amazon. And he worked for Amazon for 18 months. Now, here's what's interesting. He got the job, did the job, quit the job, and never actually was in the same room in the same space with any other Amazon employee. It was all remote. And then he went to Google. And you know what was fascinating about that? Same deal. He got the job, started working the job, never was in the same space with anyone from Google. All remote, 100% remote. Well, you know, they had a baby and this is the new normal too, you know, he got a whole bunch of time off for paternity leave. You know, I'm kind of hoping that the church will give me the mind retroactive, times it by seven. I mean, I should probably be off for the next decade. I don't know. But, but anyway, fascinating thing. When he came back to Google after his paternity leave, I think he was off for two months, You know what? They had changed the policy. Even though you can do your job remotely 
and you can do it well. We now want to require you to come in at least two days a week. We want you to actually get in your car, drive to Google, and work on site at least two days a week. You can pick whichever two days it is, Monday and Tuesday, Thursday and Friday, Wednesday and Thursday, whatever, but we want you in space at least two days a week. Now, why did they do that? Why did they do that? Because they'd actually done the numbers and they'd figured things out that, that hey, this is working great. Because particularly out there in California, I mean, people weren't spending 30, 45 minutes getting to work and 30 and 45 minutes getting home from work. They weren't spending 10 minutes walking to the next building so they could be part of a meeting. They could just, you know, log on to Zoom and they were right there at that meeting. What they did was they realized there was something in their business model that wasn't as healthy, that wasn't as good. It's like, man, we made all these tweaks because of the pandemic, and, and then for a couple of years they were like, hey, this is great. I don't know whether Amazon has changed or not, but Google realized, hey, it's better for people to come in. And that was just one of the changes they made. That's one of the tweaks they made. See, it's kind of interesting. Businesses, corporations, have realized, here's the new normal. And this part is really good. We're going to keep doing it. Chick-fil-A says, drive-through business is great for us. So we're going to learn how to do it even better. We're going to design our facilities to be even more efficient. Google says, working from home is really, really good. But it would be better if it was a blended thing of working from home and actually being in the same space at least a few times a week. What are they doing? They're tweaking their business model because the new normal wasn't as good as they wanted it to be. Now, what about the church? Well, I mean, we're, we're, basically, we're basically into the new normal, too. And if you sit and think about church in 2019 versus church today in 2023, there's a lot of good things that have happened because of the pandemic. You know, now that we've got a couple of years to look back on it, I mean, you know, live streaming. I mean, almost every church in America live streams. You can get on their website and you can watch the service. I mean, there's already been two or three times that we've got on the website and we've seen something cool that happened at a church in Fort Worth. It wasn't a big church. You know, it used to be live stream was what the mega churches did, but now every church does it. We got to see one of our grandbabies get dedicated. Not because we drove 200 miles to be there, took the Sunday off. No, we just that afternoon got on the website and we watched as a grandbaby was dedicated. That's a cool thing. Podcasts increased. You know, giving, online giving. Man, a lot of people, the percentage of people that give online, that's always good because that's consistent money. A lot of good things have happened because of the pandemic. In business, 
and in church life. But in the same way that Google realized this new normal, although it's good, it needs to be tweaked, here's the truth of the matter is, the new normal for the church, it needs to be tweaked. Now, I'm not alone on this, but let me put something up here on the screen. You know what the new normal of the church has? Good things, but it's also got some weaknesses. Let me show you what I think. Here's part of the new normal. We miss more, we give less, and we serve haphazardly. Sure, we can watch the service from home or on our phone. Sure, we can catch up on this. Sure, there's money that is automatically extracted to our, from our account if we've taken advantage of the online. And, you know, we can do catch up on the sermon if we want to do that or catch up on the worship if we want to do that. But the truth of the matter is, across the board, churches today, if you compare this normal with that normal, we miss more. We give less, and the service that we render is haphazard. It's inconsistent. It's sporadic. It might even be non-existent compared to what it used to be. Here's what I want to do for the next couple weeks. I want to take each one of these and talk about them just from a biblical standpoint. I'm going to take them in reverse order, because today what I want to talk to you about is serving. Serving within the church. And not just serving, but strategically serving. Generously serving. And then next week we'll talk about giving. And then that third week, hopefully you're here, hopefully it isn't one of your I'm going to miss that day because now I can miss more. It's already been acknowledged. Hopefully you'll be here. I asked you to turn to the book of Acts. Now the book of Acts is basically the story of the beginning of the church. The day of Pentecost was a Jewish feast, a Jewish holiday. It occurred about 40, 50 days after Jesus uh, rose from the dead. And so it was, you know, mid-May. Uh, first part of June, and, and the Jews were having that festival, and people came from all over to Jerusalem to be part of it. And you probably know the story. If you haven't, you ought to read Acts 2. Uh, that's the day the Holy Spirit showed up. 120 followers of Jesus Christ who believed in his resurrection, believed in his identity. They had been praying. The Holy Spirit came, baptized them, energized them, and gave them incredible gifts. And that day, as a result of those, that manifestation of the Spirit and Peter's preaching and all this other stuff that went on, 3,000 people came to know Jesus Christ as Savior. Well, the thing just kept growing and growing and growing. And, and, and you read in Acts Three and Acts four. I mean, they were doing. There were miracles taking place, and and the numbers just kept growing and growing and growing. And they had some hiccups. 
They had this challenge and that challenge. I mean, there was persecution. There was people getting flogged. There were people getting thrown into jail. There were people who were like small business owners, and they were getting put out of business because I don't do business with Christians. You know, if you're a good Jew, you're not going to go to that store that, where this guy's now all out for Jesus Christ. I mean, you're going to protest against him. But that didn't even stop the growth. They just kept growing and growing and growing. You know what was interesting? Things didn't really get challenged until Acts 6. So if you got your Bible or you got your uh, uh, phone, look at Acts 6. Because they had a crisis. Now, like I said, people had been thrown in jail. People had been flogged. The authorities had said, it is illegal for you to talk about Jesus. None of that stuff hindered them at all. But this crisis, this crisis had the potential to totally put the thing in the ditch. But you know what? The early church handled it super well, and the crisis was averted. Now, let me just take a couple minutes to walk through this passage, because there's some great stuff that's here. So, Acts chapter 6, verse 1. Now, at that time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint arose on the part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. Now, let me just put it, put it uh, 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 in plain English, what's going on here. The church had grown so much that there were people that had grown up that spoke Hebrew, and they had come to know Jesus Christ as personal Savior. And these families had come, and sometimes these families had had elderly parents, and sometimes those elderly parents, maybe the husband, the father had already died, so they had widows who could not fend for themselves, and it was kind of a burden, and especially if your job is, you know, in the ditch because people won't come to your shop and buy from you because you're now a Christian and all that stuff. The economy, or at least the personal economies of people had had diminished, and so you got that happening, but you also got a whole bunch of... Uh, of uh, people that that didn't grow up speaking Hebrew. They were Jews, but they grew up in Asia Minor, or they grew up in in Italy or or modern-day Greece, and so their first language was Greek, and then they learned Hebrew as a second language. So they were Jewish, but they actually spoke Greek better than they spoke Hebrew. Those people were called Hellenists. And so when they did speak Hebrew, they spoke it with an accent. Remember my mother-in-law? She learned English when she was 20. So she always spoke English with a Russian accent. That's how these widows were. Well, what happened is this church is growing and growing and growing. One of the things they wanted to do was to provide for these widows. And it wasn't intentional. It's just kind of a, a coincidence that perhaps Satan was actually behind the Hebrew-speaking widows, the ones who grew up speaking Hebrew and spoke it well, they always got their food delivered to them. The ones that spoke with an accent, the Hellenist widows, 
sometimes they'd get forgotten. They'd miss a delivery. And so these, these people that literally their extended family had become the church, some of them were getting slighted because they were just forgotten. They were just overlooked. Why did that happen? Well, I think that's where we learned kind of a good principle. Challenges are going to arise in a healthy church. Here in this church, it was starting there in Jerusalem that was growing numerically. I mean, it was just a logistical challenge to get all these widows who deserved food, who needed food, that they really wanted to love well. It was a challenge to get them all fed. There was a lot of them, and there weren't many people to fix the situation. Challenges are going to arise even in a healthy church. Problems are going to arise even in a healthy church. That's true today. When a church is healthy and it's trying to do its stuff, there's still going to be challenges. If you're fortunate enough that you have your own piece of property, lawns still have to be mowed. Shrubs still have to be trimmed. Toilets still have to be cleaned. Garbage has to be taken out. If you're fortunate enough to have, have young people, younger families, you want those younger families to be able to sit and listen to the sermon and someone take care of their babies. So babies have to be watched. And if you got those babies together or those kids together, I mean, why not take that 30 or 45 minutes or an hour and teach them while you're watching them. So kids have to be watched. Kids have to be taught. Uh, you know, all kinds of things happen. Things with the facilities, things with the ministry. I mean, all kinds of challenges, problems, we sometimes think, but they're not problems. They're really just challenges, opportunities to serve that arise. Well, look at verse 2. The 12, that's the 12 apostles, were summoned. The 12 summoned the congregation of the disciples and said, Hey, it is not desirable for us to neglect the word of God in order to serve tables. Now, you know, initially we look at that and, and you know, if in a vacuum we think, Oh, my goodness, did Peter ever pull the apostle card? Not so. Peter, James, John, Matthew, and the rest of them, they would have been more than willing to serve. I mean, those guys knew how to serve. That is one thing they did. But they also knew that there were priorities that needed to be maintained. You know what? Very few people could preach the sermon back then. It had to be Peter. James, John, Matthew, Philip, Thomas, Matthew, Bartholomew, etc. Very few people had actually rubbed shoulders with Jesus Christ. Very few people had actually laid eyes on the risen Jesus Christ. And they said, you know, man, we love the widows. We want to help the widows. But you know what? It's not preferable 
It's not preferable for us to go do that when we should be doing what only we can do. Priorities had to be maintained. And you know, I, that still is true today. In the same way there's challenges that arise, even today, even though the church is healthy, you still got to keep in mind your priorities. I know I have had this experience numerous times, and I know Andy has had it as well, because he's told me. We've talked about it. There's been so many times we have done all the logistics on an event that when it came time to actually do the 12-minute talk, it's like, oh, shoot, I forgot it. Oh, yeah, well, I was busy getting the tables ready. I was getting the food ready. I was getting this ready. I was getting the kids here. I was getting the kids gone. I was lining up this, and I was lining up that. And now the 12 minutes that I'm supposed to deliver something worth hearing, something that comes out of the Word of God, something that, you know, I was the designated guy to deliver it, it's like, rats. I wasn't prepared. I had forgotten the priorities. And like I said, Andy said the same thing. Why? Because we forgot what the priority was. We forgot what the priority was. The church needs to remember what is the priority in making that challenge, in, in addressing that challenge. We'll go back to the passage. So what did they do? This has got to be the second greatest miracle in the, in the whole Bible, okay? Because everyone in the church agreed. I don't think it's ever happened before. It's never happened since, okay? The apostles said, we're not supposed to take care of that. We need to teach the Word of God. We need to be devoting ourselves to prayer. But select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit and wisdom, whom we may put in charge of this task. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. And look at verse 5. This is where that big miracle is. Like I said, it's just second only to the resurrection. And the statement found approval with the whole congregation. Never happened before or since. And they chose Stephen, full of faith, and of the Holy Spirit, and Philip, and Pecorius, and Nicanor, and the others. You know what happened? They came up with a solution. And you know what that solution involved? Service. Here are seven guys that can do it. And interestingly, I didn't take the time to to just talk about what this challenge was, but, I mean, you just think about the racial implications that were going on there. I mean, it's like, wow, we're prejudiced against those people that grew up in Greece or Italy or someplace else who speak Hebrew with an accent. And so what did they do? They actually chose seven guys that came from that part of the world to help make sure that everyone was treated. And I find it really fascinating that even though I'm sure Satan had the opportunity to capitalize on that race card, somehow everyone involved treated it godly enough that he didn't. It didn't become an issue. 
They brought these, look at verse 6, they brought these before the church, the apostles. The apostles prayed, laid hands on them, gave them the authority, commissioned them to do that service. And look at verse 7. And the word of God kept spreading, and the number of the disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And even a great many of the priests. I mean, I can tell you why those priests did it. Man, if a church works like that, I want to go join it. They were becoming obedient to the faith. Here's the last thing. Well-handled challenges enable good church health to continue. Now, why do I bring all this up? I bring all of this up because we're at the point where we're now far enough into the new normal that I think we need to sit and say, you know what, the way we serve is unacceptable. It's not going to cut it. This haphazard, inconsistent, unstrategic, if you will, serving isn't going to be the best thing. And, and if we're going to change the new normal to get it be a little bit more effective or strategic or, dare I say, biblical, we've got to do it now. Because here's the deal. What's the basic so what of this sermon? It's this. We each need to be serving strategically. We each need to be doing what God has called us to do. And part of that is within the local church, strategically serving as God has gifted us. Not as God has given us time, but as God has gifted us. You know, it's kind of fascinating. Uh, when I was in high school, I had the opportunity to, to play football. And uh, uh, I wasn't any good, but I was on a team with, that had some really, really good players. And uh, one of the players ended up playing for the Colts, uh, Indianapolis Colts. And uh, another player, he was really, really good, uh, but he actually didn't make football his career. He was really good at baseball. And the last I heard of him, he was somewhere in the San Diego Padres organization. Whether he ever got all the way up to the top, I don't know. But this guy was really, really good. And he had the personality to match it. I mean, he just, you know, kind of that Muhammad Ali personality, those of you that are old enough to remember Ali. I mean, he could just talk, and he never met a stranger, and he could get the coaches to do anything. Well, this guy, I mean, he played both ways. He played offense, he played defense. A lot of times he was on special teams and all that stuff. The one thing he wasn't on was on the kickoff team. And so he'd, he'd just be on the sidelines and the kickoff would go. And he noticed that they would get this guy that never would have an opportunity to ever get on the, play, on the field to run out and pick up the tee and run it back. Now, they never asked me to do it because I run like a chug, you know, and so I never got to do that, but, but this guy did. And Al, Al Romero, that was his name, uh, he went over to Coach Clecus and he said, I want to do that. You know, he just thought that would be fun. Well, yeah, but you're going in. Yeah, I can go in. I want, let me do it. And so one game, he talked to the coaches into letting him be the guy that ran out and got the tee and ran back, and it was like big fun for him. And then he'd go play offense or defense or whatever we were doing at the time. Well, imagine if Al 
after that game said, you know what, I love that. That is so fun. I mean, the heck with running down the field and letting the quarterback throw me the ball because I can catch it and I can run faster than anyone else. I want to go get the tee. The heck with being a defensive back and covering people and getting lots of interceptions and breaking up lots of plays. I want to go get the tee. I want to be the tee retriever. I don't want to be a defensive back. I don't want to be a wide receiver. I want to be the tee retriever. Well, fortunately, he never asked. And fortunately, the coach has never offered. Why? Because his contribution to the Kearns High Cougars was he needed to be a wide receiver and he needed to be a defensive back. I mean, even if they were that desperate, they could have had Richard Hornock go get the tee. And if he gets hurt in the process, so be it. We can spare him. We can't do that. Here's what's happened. I think in church life, it's almost like we've just kind of, you know, things totally fell apart during the pandemic, and, and there was all these holes in the dam, and so we just started plugging them. And we just kind of did it haphazard. We probably did it haphazardly before. But we've really done it now. And the question I have to ask you is, are you, number one, are you serving because, quite frankly, many of you, if you were going to be honest, would have to say no. Are you serving strategically? And some of you might be saying, well, I could do more. But it would be inconvenient. It would be hard. It takes time. I saw this quote. This is pretty interesting. Serving is inconveniencing yourself for something greater than yourself. I mean, it's not just a matter of, of putting a, you know, a toll in so you can keep going on the interstate. This, this is, you know, if we were to take the time to go to like Romans 12 or 1 Corinthians 12, we would find out that God has gifted us. God has shaped us. God has empowered us. And he has given us opportunity. And, and remember that famous passage, 1 Corinthians 12? The hand can't say to the eye, I have no need of you. The eye can't look at the hand and say, I don't need you. The leg, the foot can't look and say, I don't need you. I don't need you. Every part is necessary. And here's the deal. If you're part of Fellowship Bible Church, the local church called Fellowship Bible Church, you're needed. You have an opportunity to fulfill a strategic role. And if you're not filling that role, the church isn't functioning as healthy as it could. Things are not getting done. It might be that we got some Al Romero's that are running out and getting the tea because someone's got to do it. And that's what Al Romero's do. But you know what? If that's keeping them from being a wide receiver that runs down and passes everyone so that he can catch a touchdown and we can win the game, that's really a stupid use of resources, isn't it? Here's the question I want to ask you is, how are you doing on your service? And I'm not even going to ask you to compare how you did it, you know, four years ago. It might have been that four years ago you weren't doing such a great job either. 
How are you doing compared to what God really is calling you to? How are you doing compared to how God has equipped you? Are you serving haphazardly? Are you just doing enough to satisfy that appetite? You know, in a way, I mean, service is a little bit like uh, eating. It's like the nutrition. You know, you, you can zip through Chick-fil-A, and you can get some, you know, something to eat. You know, if they still have those peach milkshakes, go for it. It's great. But let me tell you, that will satisfy your appetite, but that will not keep you going. That's not strategic. Godly serving is inconveniencing yourself sometimes for something greater than yourself. And so I've just got to ask you, how are you doing in that area? So here's the practical thing. In your bulletin, we made up a, uh, if I can find it out of my thing here, we made up a little form. And you know what my goal is today? I want to get back one of these from every person in the room. Even if all it has on there is your name, your email, your phone number, and nothing else. Maybe under other, you can just say, not at this time. And that's between you and God. But here's what I would love to do. We're, we're at, okay, this, this is kind of the start of the year. You know, if churches were to pick out when do you have New Year's celebration, churches would say September 1st. August 31st, September 1st. It's the start of the new ministry year. That's just the way church calendars work. Everything starts with school, and we go, and then walk through the summer, and then restart again. This is, this is the start of the year. This is the time when Megan and Andy, myself, and others, we're scrambling, saying, who's going to do what? Who's going to do this, and who's going to do that? And, and you know, and if you've been paying attention to church life, Interestingly, I'll tell you, you know that over the last four, five, six weeks, we've lost four or five really strategic families, couples who did some really significant things. Big holes have been created. Why? Because Richard was a crummy preacher? No, they left for other reasons. They left because they got a job. But those positions need to be filled. Those, those things need to be done. If we want the church to stay healthy, we've all got to be serving. And so I want to encourage you to look at this, and maybe you're not prepared to give it back today, but that's okay. It'll be in next week's bulletin, and I'll talk about it again. <laughs> and I'll talk about it on the third Sunday. And uh, someone else is preaching on the Sunday before Labor Day, and I'll ask him to talk about it too. I would love for you to fill this out. And I'd love for you to, to not just fill it out without a brain. I'd love for you to sit and say, you know, how has God gifted me? Where should I be serving? Where do I need more information about? That doesn't necessarily mean, oh, wow, we're going to get you to do that. It might be that that's just where God's leading you and we can help you get there to be prepared for it. But the question I've got to ask you, is are you serving the way God has gifted you, the way God has enabled you, 
and most of all, the way God has called you? Or are you just taking a sip of that peach milkshake and saying, no, honey, I don't need dinner tonight. I feel just fine. I mean, one of the key ways you grow in a relationship with Jesus Christ is by actually getting involved and serving the body of Christ. Sure, there's more to it. But this is one of those key areas. Let's pray. Father, I want to thank you for the privilege of being able to look at this passage from uh, Acts and just seeing how you led them to meet that challenge. And Lord, we as a church have challenges. We want to be healthy. We want to be healthier. We want to see people saved. We want to see kids saved. And Father, I pray that today, uh, just under the hearing, of your word with the uh, work of the Holy Spirit. I pray, Father, that you would challenge each and every one of us uh, to think really strategically about how we fit in, how we can make a contribution, not just with our money, but with our time and our talents, uh, with things that, that will inconvenience us but they're an inconvenience for something that is so much greater than us. And that's the body of Christ. Thank you, Father, for it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.